So we are teaching through the book of Genesis. We believe that the book of Genesis is critical because we find the foundations for everything that we believe. Everything that builds our faith started in the book of Genesis, which, of course, the word Genesis means beginnings, right? And so um, uh, we don't want to throw away the Old Testament. We don't want to lose touch with the Old Testament. We don't want to think that the Old Testament is irrelevant, we want to see just how important it is for building the foundation of our faith. And, and so our intention was to spend the, the summer in Genesis. Now summer break is over and school is starting, but we're still in Genesis. We, we still got a few weeks to go, but uh, we're getting there. This is actually part 11, part 11 of this teaching series. And so uh, two weeks ago, last time we taught on Genesis, we looked at the life of Isaac and it's kind of interesting, right, because Abraham is the father of our faith, right? He's the one who had the original covenant promise. It's an everlasting covenant. We are now in the same covenant that Abraham was in. And then, of course, Jacob is the father of the nation of Israel. And so we, we see his importance in the story, whereas Isaac was just kind of the connector between the two. You know, apart from being the child of promise, the miraculous child for Abraham and Sarah, and then, of course, he's the father of Jacob, kind of in between there, there's not a whole lot. And really, it's just one chapter. It's Genesis 26. And so we studied that, and we saw the, the journey of Isaac as he was digging wells, trying to find the place where he could settle and raise his family. And if you missed that message or any of the previous messages, you can go to our website, you can go to our podcast, and you can listen to those. But today, now, we're going to move forward with Jacob, the next in the line of the patriarchs, right? You read that God is the father of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And, and so we're going to continue. We're going to be focusing on blessings and deception because that's really what marked Jacob's life was blessings and deception. You'll notice there on the screen that this sermon covers four, no, actually five chapters. We're not going to read five chapters this morning. I just, I can't teach that much in a 30-minute teaching. So, but I encourage you to read these five chapters and, and dig into them. We're just going to pull a few nuggets out of them this morning as we look at Jacob's life. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis 25. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. And we're going to read verses 19 through 26. And it goes like this. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together inside of her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? And that's kind of a confusing sentence there. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English, and it's actually really hard to translate in the Hebrew. But essentially what Rebecca is saying is, if God is at work in this, why is it happening this way? 
She was having such a tumultuous pregnancy, and now there's two babies inside of her. She doesn't know that at this point because they didn't have sonograms back then, right? So she didn't know, but she's got two babies, and they're tussling inside of her. And it's causing her to be distressed. Is this pregnancy going to kill me? Is there something wrong with the baby that's inside of me? And so she phrases the question, if it is so, why then am I this way? She's saying, if God is in this, if God answered our prayers, why am I experiencing so much distress? So when you have a question, there's a good thing to do, right? So she went to inquire of the Lord. It's good to go ask God when you have a question. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So this is the holy sonogram, right? We, they didn't have any equipment to see that she was having twins. So God tells her, you're having twins. There are two nations in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And Esau is a play on the Hebrew word, which means hairy. So for anybody out there who's named Harry, they really named this baby Harry, but not H-A-R-R-Y, H-A-I-R-Y. Okay, he was just covered in hair from head to toe, so they named him Esau. They, they named him Harry. The hair was all red, so another one of his nicknames that comes later is Edom, which means red. So his name was Esau, his nickname was Edom. Verse 26, afterwards his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So these two babies were tussling in the womb, and apparently the fight lasted all the way even through the birth canal. That as Esau comes out first, here's the next baby holding on to his heel like he's trying to pull him back in so that he can be the first one to come out. And so his name was called Jacob. Jacob means supplanter. To supplant somebody means to replace them through deception or treachery. Right? So they actually named their baby supplanter. Because here he is trying to pull the first one back in to take his place. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Why is that significant? Because a few verses earlier, it said that Isaac was 40 years old when they got married. But he was 60 years old when she gives birth. That means that they prayed for 20 years to have a baby. And if you remember several messages ago, we talked about that in the culture of that day, a husband would generally give his wife 10 years. She had 10 years to give birth, and if she was still barren after 10 years, he was going to move on. And that's why at the 10-year mark is when Sarah gave her maidservant to Abraham so that he could have a baby and he wouldn't move on. What's awesome now, a generation later is that when they hit that 10-year mark, Isaac didn't give up. Isaac didn't move on. Rebekah didn't get a maidservant for him. They continued to trust in God, and it took 20 years. But God answered their prayers, and God gave them children, right? The same promise over Abraham 
which is you'll have so many descendants, it'll be like sand on the seashore, was the same promise given to Isaac. And so Isaac was pressing through in prayer for 20 years, believing for that same promise. And at 60 years old, the promise is fulfilled, and they give birth to twins. But here's the most significant part of this, is that God, in the prophetic word that He spoke over Rebekah's pregnancy, is that one would be stronger than the other, and that the older would serve the younger. God was declaring while these babies were still in the womb that God was choosing the younger child. And in the culture of this day, that was unheard of. The firstborn child, the oldest, got all of the blessing. The firstborn child, the oldest, uh, was, was the heir, that, that, that he got the inheritance, that he was looked to as the next leader of the family, right? Everything was about the firstborn. And yet here, God prophetically is telling Rebecca, I'm choosing the younger. And this speaks to us of God's sovereignty. And that's really one of the main things I want us to talk about this morning is God's sovereignty. And sovereignty is a fancy word that simply means God gets to choose without any outside influence. God can choose what he wants. And in this situation, God chooses Jacob. Even though Jacob was the younger, he chooses Jacob. And I want you to see what this speaks to us and why this is so significant that God chooses Jacob. Because it it shows us that there are certain things that we kind of hang our hat on that aren't really what's important when God is choosing. And these are in your notes. The first one is this. God does not choose us based on our ethnicity. Jacob and Esau were both of the lineage of Abraham. They both had the same ethnicity. They were both Hebrew children. And yet God only chose one of them. And this is amazing because what you see happen throughout the history of Israel and the Jewish people is they really hang their hats on the fact that they are the children of Abraham, right? So much so that it becomes a source of spiritual pride for them. When Jesus encounters the religious leaders of his day in John chapter 8, Jesus says to them, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And their immediate response is, we're Jewish. We've never been a slave to anything. And Jesus says to them, if you've ever sinned, you're a slave to sin. And he says, no, you're doing what your father does. And you know what their answer is? Their answer is, Abraham is our father. And Jesus is like, no, if Abraham was your father, you would do what Abraham did. And then they say, no, no, God is our father. And Jesus is like, no, if God was your father, you would love me because I came from God. Then Jesus just goes crazy on him and says, no, you're of your father, the devil. And you're doing what the devil would do right now. See, what had happened for the Jewish people is they had become so spiritually prideful that they were the children of Abraham, and that made them so much superior to anybody else. And yet, being of the lineage of Abraham was never God's sole criteria. 
It was never his sole criteria. What does this mean? Well, what happens is, is that for any of us, if we find our superiority in our ethnicity, the more we do that, the more we move away from the heart of God. And that's what had happened to the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people. He chose them and he loved them and he intended to bring his Savior through them. And yet more and more they found their superiority in their ethnicity, not in the fact that God had chose them, that they had moved away from the heart of God. And this can happen to any of us. Now, I can only speak for my ethnicity. I am Caucasian. I am Western European. And the atrocities that have been performed throughout history by those of my ethnicity because they thought they were superior. And even worse yet, that they tried to justify their atrocities by using the word of God because they felt that they were superior. Listen, God does not choose us because of our ethnicity. And our ethnicity is important when it comes to our cultural identity. There is nothing wrong with that. But the moment we think that our ethnicity is superior or that we look down on somebody else's, we are moving away from the heart of God. God did not choose Jacob because of his ethnicity. The second one is this. God does not choose us based on our parents. God does not choose us based on our parents. You see, when God chose Isaac out of all of Abraham's children, it was different because Isaac was the only child of Sarah. Ishmael came from Hagar. After Sarah died, Abraham remarried and had several more children with Keturah. But Isaac was the only child of Sarah. So you could say, yeah, God chose Isaac because of Sarah. But now here with Jacob and Esau, this is different. They're both coming from the same parents. Not only from the same parents, but from the same womb at the same time. And yet God just chose one of them. See, God doesn't choose us based on our parents. I would call this cultural Christianity or familial Christianity is when we hang our hat on, well, my parents went to church, so I'm a Christian. Or I have regular church attendance, so I'm a Christian. Or really what it comes down to is, is I go to church, but nothing about my faith transforms my life. Right? God doesn't choose us based on our parents' faith. God doesn't choose us based on what our parents did or who our parents are. And the last one is this. God doesn't choose us based on our works. These babies were still in the womb. They hadn't done anything yet. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes about it like this. He says, and not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now let me clarify here. 
Paul is actually quoting from the prophet Malachi when he says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This does not literally mean that God hated Esau. This is just a literary device where you set things at polar opposites to make a point. And so they set Jacob at one polar opposite of love and Esau at one polar opposite of hate just to make the point that God had chosen one and not the other. But it says before they had done anything, they hadn't done anything good or bad, right? So Jacob hadn't done anything good yet to deserve to be chosen, but Esau also hadn't done anything bad yet to deserve not to be chosen. And yet God chose one anyway. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that God was going to be fair. It said he was going to be loving, and it said that he would have a purpose for our lives, but it never said he would be fair. He doesn't choose us based on our works. When we hang our hat on our works, that God loves me or God chose me because of the good things that I did and how many times I went to church and how much money I gave and how many people I helped and how nice I was, it just becomes religiosity. It just becomes a faith based on rules and a faith based on being good. God didn't choose us because we were good. So what this boils down to then is, is what part does Jacob play if God shows him before he was even born? And this brings us to the great debate of what is known as election versus free will. Election, meaning that God chooses. And we get that term election from the Greek word eklektos, which is translated in the Bible as God's chosen or as God's elect. And so, therefore, we use the word election to mean that God chooses. So, in Romans, continuing in Paul's thought from Romans chapter 9, he very clearly teaches election. Starting in verse 15, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Paul is very clearly teaching here that God chooses. So that's the election side of the debate. But then there's the free will side of the debate, which free will is that we choose, right? That we make a decision as human beings. So here's the problem. is throughout history, church has been divided that we have to choose one side of the debate or the other. And so you get the, the election side of the debate that says, well, God chooses. Humans have no say. So that means before you were even born, God already decided whether you were going to heaven or hell. 
Before you were even born, God had already decided whether you had a chance or not. See, when I read the Bible, I can't believe that. So why, if the Bible teaches both, why can't both be true? And we don't have to argue over one or the other. Because as Paul continues his thought from Romans chapter 9, we get to Romans chapter 10. And of course, we added the chapters later. Paul didn't add the chapters. It's still just one continuous thought from Paul. Romans 10, starting in verse 9, listen to this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So now here in Romans 10, it's all about us choosing. We have to choose to believe. We have to choose to submit. We have to choose to call on the name of the Lord. So why can't both truths coexist? And you say, well, what would that look like? Well, think about God chooses the family that we are born into and the life we are going to inherit. And therefore, some of us are born into families that are wealthy and have a lot of money, Others of us are born into families that are in poverty and that we're just scrapping to survive. God chose what family you were born into. God chose the circumstances that you were born into. And God chose to put you into that situation. And it's not fair that some are born rich and some are born poor. But that's okay. It was never supposed to be fair. It's God's sovereignty at work. God chooses But we also choose because it's our choices that determine if we will make the most out of the situation that we inherit. Just because you're born into one family doesn't mean you're not going to make it. So you've got one baby that's born into a Christian family that's raised in church and surrounded by the love of God and surrounded by the truth of God. And then you've got another baby that's born into a family that's broken and torn apart and there's drug addiction and that baby's getting abused and mistreated and getting abandoned as the parents end up in prison or end up somewhere else. God chose both of those situations. And yet in the situation, it's our choices that are going to determine if we experience God's fullness in our life. In those situations, it's our choices. We can blame the universe for not being fair, or we can make the choices that are going to move us forward in Christ regardless of the situation we were born into. That's the balance between God chooses and we choose. Here's another one. God chooses us for a ministry purpose. Each one of us, 
God has chosen us and called us and said, this is what I have called you to, and this is what I want you to do for my kingdom. It's our choice whether we will answer the call or not. It's our choice whether we will fulfill God's purpose. About 20 years ago, this rock band burst onto the scene, and the band was called Creed. And when I listened to it now in 1999, same year that Creed came out, is the year I gave my life to Christ. And so it was a time when I was transitioning from from dark, heavy metal music to transitioning into Christian music. And this band Creed comes out, and I'm listening to it, and they're not a Christian band, but when you listen to the songs, you're like, it just sounds like a Christian band. But they don't claim to be. And so I did some research, and the lead singer of the band Creed was a guy named Scott Stapp. And Scott Stapp shared in an interview that as a teenager, God had called him into full-time ministry. God had challenged him to become a pastor and to preach the gospel. And from the moment of that calling, Scott Stapp began to run away from it. And he ran away from it. And yet in this music, you still hear the foundation of his faith. Yet he was running away from it. And in the running away, he got caught up in the alcohol and drugs. He became suicidal. He tried to take his own life. He had a mental break and, and, and needed psychiatric help. All of that happened. Why? Because he made a choice to run away from God's call that was upon his life. You see, God chooses our calling. Our choice is whether we will answer God's call and whether we will fulfill God's purpose. And the same way, God chose the path to salvation. He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to pay the price for our sins, that through faith in Christ Jesus, we would find salvation. And God chose what the family of the saved would look like, the New Testament church that was formed the church that we still participate in today. God chose that. But we have a choice whether we will follow that path and whether we will be a part of that family. You guys see where I'm going here? God chooses and we choose. But God doesn't choose us because of our ethnicity or because of who our family is or because of any good thing that we have done. God chooses us because in his sovereignty, he decided, this is how I'm going to save the world, through my son Jesus. And when we choose Jesus, God chooses us. So Jacob's life was marked by bad choices and deception. He cons his older brother out of the birthrights, and then with the help of his mom... He commits the ultimate deception and tricks his elderly father into giving him the inheritance and the blessing of the firstborn son and steals it from Esau. And because of this life of deception, Esau wants to kill him, and so Jacob is forced to leave the promised land and run for his life. And in Genesis 28 and in verse 10, We pick up the story of Jacob running for his life. 
It says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head, and he lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this is the first time recorded in Genesis that God speaks to Jacob. Doesn't mean it's the first time. It's just the first time it's recorded. Now God begins the conversation by introducing himself. So that could imply that this is Jacob's first ever impersonal encounter with God. And God introduces himself, and then what does God do? He repeats the covenant promises. The same covenant promises that he gave to Abraham, that he then repeated to Isaac. God is now repeating them to Jacob. And not only repeating them to Jacob, but in verse 15, he adds a new promise. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God repeats the same covenant promises to Jacob and even adds to the covenant promises that I'm going to protect you, bring you back to the promised land and be with you always. Now, Daniel, I'm about to go out of order here, so you're going to have to find the slide for me, but I want you to jump to where it says, if God chose Jacob, no matter what he did. So here's the thing. Up until this point in Jacob's life, Jacob had done nothing but deceive. And yet God still chose him and gave the covenant promises to him, and even added to the covenant promises. So the question is, if God blessed Jacob no matter what he did, then why don't we just continue doing whatever we want? And God will just bless us anyway. Well, let me answer that a couple of ways. The first answer is this. It's because it's the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And you say, okay, well, what kind of answer is that? What's the difference? Well, the difference is that in the New Testament, when we make the decision to follow Jesus, God deposits His Holy Spirit inside of us, and in doing that, our old self dies, and we are reborn with a new spirit and a new nature that desires to please God. That didn't happen in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people at specific moments for specific situations, but the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in people and make them brand new. And so here is this guy, Jacob, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have the Word of God. He doesn't have any of the things that we have that make us brand new. So for us to say, well, then I'm just going to continue doing whatever I want, well, that's impossible if the Holy Spirit is making you brand new. We can't just keep doing whatever we want. 
Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He asked the question right after he was talking about where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So we don't just keep going doing whatever we do. Why? Because we've died to sin. We've died to our old selves. We've died to our old way of doing things. And God has done something new inside of us. Jacob didn't have that opportunity. Until Christ died and rose again, nobody had that opportunity. That's why it's Old Testament versus New Testament. But the second answer is this. Why not continue doing whatever you want? Because deception breeds deception. And in fact, you could add pretty much anything into those blanks, such as because conflict breeds conflict, or because anger breeds anger, or because bitterness breeds bitterness. See, what you're going to find if you continue to read uh, Genesis chapters 29 and 30 is that even though God had made these promises over Jacob's life, The deception in Jacob's life, all it had done was breed more deception back into his life. And so Laban deceives him. Multiple times Laban deceives him and he experiences treachery in his life. Why? Because deception breeds deception. Conflict, the same conflict that had started between Jacob and his brother in the womb that continued through their life to where now Esau wanted to kill him. What does Jacob experience now in his life? Sisters that are in conflict with each other, creating continual conflict in his home. Why do we not keep doing what we want? Because like breeds like. And so if you're going to be deceptive in your life, All you're going to be surrounded with is deception. If you're going to be bitter in your life, all you're going to be surrounded with is bitterness. If you're selfish in your life, all you're going to be surrounded with is selfishness. Because like breeds like. That's why we don't continue doing whatever we want. Yes, Jacob was the chosen patriarch of God's covenant, but that doesn't mean that he didn't experience decades of consequences because of his choices. Jacob wasn't off the hook. He still had to deal with it. So now, Daniel, I'm going to keep you on your toes. Now we're going to jump back to the Scripture. We're going back to verse 16 of Genesis 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil over it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me and I return to my father's house in safety, oh, I skipped a line, on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. 
This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Let me invite the worship team to come back up today. The first thing that jumps out at us is this, is that the presence of God changes the mundane and the indifference into the holy and the awesome. When Jacob went to sleep, it was just a desert. There was nothing special about it. He was just going about his business. He got himself a rock as a pillow, and he laid down in the sand. He was indifferent to where he was. Where he was didn't matter. He was just going on his journey. But then he encountered God, and the presence of God changed what was mundane and indifferent into something that was holy and awesome. Jacob wakes up and says, this place is holy. This place is awesome. And the presence of God will do the same thing in our lives. When you find yourself in those seasons where everything seems mundane, and nothing seems special, and you don't seem to care too much about anything that's going on. Man, seek the presence of God, because the presence of God will change the mundane and the indifferent into the holy and the awesome. And then here's what I want you to see as we finish this conversation about God's choice versus our choice, is that even in that moment, Jacob, whose entire life had been marked by deception, had a choice to make. How was he going to respond to the promises of God? And his choice to respond was to surrender his life to God's lordship. He said, if these promises are true, then God will be my God. And that includes worship as he sets up the stone and makes an altar and pours oil over it. And he begins to worship the Lord. That includes trusting God for divine protection as he's about to go into 20 years of exile. That includes following God's leading in his life. That at the end of those 20 years of exile, God says, okay, now it's time to go home. And he follows God's leading. And then I find this interesting. Now, this isn't a sermon on tithing, but a part of his response Was God everything you bless me with? I'm going to give a tenth back to you. And he responds and says, I'm going to be a giver. God chooses and we choose. God chose Jacob, but it was up to Jacob to choose how he was going to respond to the promises of God. And he responded by saying, God, you will be my God. I will worship you, I will trust you, I will follow you, I will give to you. You're going to be my God. Kauai Bible Church, listen, there's some things in your life that God chooses and you have no control over. There could be horrible things that happen that you have no control over. We're in hurricane season. And I know Eric and Flossie didn't really get that close but anybody who's lived here since 92 and you experienced Hurricane Aniki, you understand having no control. You had no control whatsoever over what hit this island or what was to happen. God chooses. There's things God allows in your life that you have no control over. There's things that God has already chosen for your life that you have no control over. 
But there are some things that we do have control over. And in those things, we are responsible to choose to make God our God and to trust Him and to follow Him. And regardless of what happens to us, what happens to us is no excuse. The choices that we make day by day moving forward in God, that's what matters. You may have been born into a blessed home, or you may have been born into a broken home, a terrible home. Doesn't matter. It's your choice to move forward. God may have called you to a ministry you wanted, or God may have called you to a ministry you want nothing to do with. Doesn't matter. It's your choice to walk in God's calling. It's your choice. Will you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just pray today. Oh, for everyone that hears this word, that, Lord, we would choose you. That, Lord, we would not allow the circumstances of our life to direct our life. We would not allow the hardships of our life to determine the final outcome. God, we would only allow you to determine the final outcome. God, we choose you. Because you first chose us. We choose your way, God. We trust your sovereignty. If you put us in this situation, God, it's because you know what you're doing. And we're going to trust you in the midst of this situation. God, I pray that each of us would choose you. That each of us would move forward in you. Each of us would discover the fullness of our destiny. Just as Jacob had to. Even in his consequences, he was moving forward to discover the fullness of his destiny. We thank you for that, Lord. Let's worship together as we close.